With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The Planet Football Podcast is brought to you by FanDuel, the leader in one-week fantasy football with more winners and more payouts than any other site. Enter promo code PLANET at FanDuel.com to play a risk-free tournament for up to $10. We're also sponsored by the SeatGeek app, the smartest way to buy and sell tickets for your favorite sports team. Download the SeatGeek app and enter our code PLANET for $20 off your first purchase. It's the ultimate soccer player's dream to be able to go to the Ballon d'Or. It's taken a lot of years to get to this point. It's, uh, it's been tough at times. It's been frustrating, but it's really all been worth it. Looking at the idiosyncrasies of the international coaches as well, among them, Roy Hodgson, who didn't put Ronaldo or Messi in one of his uh, top threes recently. He picked Mascarano as his number one. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to SI's Planet Football Podcast, where each week we discuss the latest in the world of soccer. I am SI.com soccer editor Avi Creditor, joined today by SI senior writer Grant Wall and SI.com's Ben Littleton. Gentlemen, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. This is good to be back. Uh, lots to look forward to in 2016. Likewise. Yeah, great to, great to have you back on to, to kick off the new year. And we're going to do it uh, by talking about some things going on in, in Europe with the coaching carousel, which... Uh, is in full overdrive. Um, afterwards, though, we are going to talk about the Ballon d'Or, and we actually have finalist for FIFA Women's World Player of the Year, Carly Lloyd, uh, is going to join us in a little bit as well, so stay tuned for that. Um, but first, the coaching news. Zinedine Zidane into the hot seat at Real Madrid. Uh, Rafa Benitez out. Ben, is this is it too soon for Zidane? Is, is it his time to shine? Do you see him riding the Pep Guardiola career path? Well, it's not quite the same, I think, because Perez has installed Zidane for different reasons. Partly, it's a mid-season change, which is quite rare for Florentino Perez, um, even though he's been grooming Zidane to take this position since he came to power for the second time in, in 2011. And Zidane's experience so far has been as assistant coach to Carlo Ancelotti and sporting director at some point uh, when Mourinho was there and then also coaching the reserve side. So he's seen a lot of different areas of the club um, and he's passed all his qualifications, but it is still being thrown into the lion's den mid-season, your first coaching job as coach of the richest club in, in soccer is very, very strange, a huge risk, but it's clear that Perez did it because Zidane is the golden man um, uh, in Madrid, and that buys him more time. So even if Zidane flops this season, he can say, well, it's not my side, it's Benitez's side, even though it's not even Benitez's side, it's <laughs> Perez's side. So he's got a good 18 months, really, to for us to decide whether he has got what it takes. But I don't think he's um, going to do a Guardiola, because I think Guardiola is a one-off. But everyone is very interested to see what his approach will be. I think he will be more of an Ancelotti than a Benitez. I think he will be good at 
managing the egos in the squad and partly because he's been there before and and done it before and I think when the players in the Real Madrid squad look at him he has an aura and no one is going to say what who are you to tell me what to do because he can simply turn up at training and and outplay them all (laughs) whereas whereas one of the problems with Benitez was that he is a micromanager he sees himself as a teacher but also he never had this stellar career as a player so when he told the big names what they should be doing or how to improve their technique a lot of them didn't take him seriously because he didn't have that past history now that can be right or wrong I think Benitez is an excellent coach who has a history of making players better but it's different at Real Madrid I mean his nickname in the dressing room Benitez was number 10 and that was ironic because he never was a number 10 whereas Zidane (laughs) is a better number 10 probably now than all the number 10s that Madrid currently have so you know this idea of um of, of what a manager is and what that means. I think we'll see in the next six months a different reaction between the players and, and the top guy. But whether that means Zidane is going to be an innovator, make us change the way we think about football, which is what Guardiola has done, I think is a very different question. Absolutely. Grant, uh, I have to ask you, uh, your dog Zizu, does he approve of, of this move? <laughs> Zizu likes it whenever uh, the name Zizu or Zidane gets back into the public eye. So uh, we will be looking forward to watching Real Madrid games together for the rest of the season. Um, as far as Zidane's concerned, I, you know, I just fear that a guy who is in the pantheon as far as being a player, one of the greatest players of all time, there's no way he can't be diminished by what may happen here with Real Madrid. and. That's probably unfair to Zidane. I mean, his life has continued since he retired uh, from his playing career, but um, he's walking into a really difficult situation. It's his first head coaching job. Yes, he worked under Carlo Ancelotti, who did quite well uh, in retrospect at Real Madrid, and you certainly hope uh, he brings some Ancelotti man management skills to this gig. Um, But uh, I, I think it's going to be very difficult for him. Uh, the culture at Real Madrid is not favorable to any coach as long as Florentino Perez is the president there. And uh, you can spend as much money as you want on players, but clearly they don't have the right chemistry there. Maybe Zidane can help a little bit with that. Um, I don't think it'll be another Guardiola situation. Uh, I hope it won't be a Clarence Seedorf or Pippo Inzaghi situation at AC Milan. Uh, those were just absolute disasters. Now, granted, those players weren't of the stature of Zidane. Neither was Guardiola, for that matter. Um, but uh, we'll see how it shakes out. I'll be watching. Uh, I hope it goes well for Zidane because I have so much respect for him and what he's achieved. Um, for sure. And, and to his credit, he totally played down the, the Guardiola comparisons, right? He said, I, I am not him. So Ben, moving on to, to Guardiola, who's obviously the biggest name uh, on this coaching carousel, along with Jose Mourinho, and, and he's confirmed he's going to the Premier League. We all assume he's going to Manchester City, where Manuel Pellegrini uh, just signed a new contract this summer. Um, is City still the likely landing spot for, for Guardiola? You don't see him pulling a, a U-turn and going to across town to United? He could totally do that. He could also go to Arsenal. Uh, I think Chelsea are probably still interested in him. I mean, it's an amazing and unique situation where the four biggest clubs in England over the last five years could all potentially change their manager in six months' time this summer. Huh. And 
the fact that Mourinho and Guardiola are available makes it even more enticing. So we could see Guardiola, you know, at um, at City, Mourinho at United, and even Pellegrini at Chelsea, which has been linked as well. So it could all change. I personally think that Guardiola to Arsenal makes the most sense from a stylistic point of view, from a cultural point of view. Um, I feel that the fit um, from a romantic point of view, I guess, would be um, most suited to Guardiola because how do you replace Wenger? And this is a massive problem that United have had in in trying to replace someone who's been there so long and been so successful. Um, and it would work because Guardiola only likes to stay at a place for, for three years, um, as he's proved in the past. And there would be no one better who can replace Wenger, who has a similar philosophy to Arsene Wenger than, than Guardiola. He'd be in London. Um, he'd have a squad that is not ready to win everything, but is extremely uh, well-constructed in, in terms of players who can adapt to Guardiola's style. Um, the one problem we have is that Wenger's contract doesn't run out till 2017. So there's one more year. But if Arsenal win the title this season, and they really should, given the deficiencies of, of all their rivals, I really believe that Wenger would n- not be acting in the club's best interests if he didn't stand down and, and make a an option for Guardiola to take over. Now, it may be too late because Guardiola may have given his word to Man City um, because he has a relationship with the, the two board members from his days at Barcelona. Arsenal may have moved too quickly. It may not happen. Wenger might not want to leave. All, all these things. But from an Arsenal point of view, if I was a fan, that's exactly what I would want to see happen. Um, the reality is that Man City will probably pay the most and therefore Guardiola will go there. Well, that that's what it is. You're, you're just teasing Arsenal fans with that, <laughs> with that scenario right now. Also, if I worked for Arsenal, if I was a board member at Arsenal, I would be doing everything I possibly could to convince Wenger to step aside this summer and to get Guardiola in because otherwise you've got a massive headache in 18 months. It's, yeah, you, you do. Uh, and But you also look at City and, and he's got the relationships with the with the top executives there and and the money. I mean, it's, it's going to be out of control, Grant. Um, do you see any scenario where, where Gordiel does not end up at, at City? Uh, I certainly would not go 100% with City. Uh, I think that's where he's going to end up, though. And, and when you look at Arsenal, uh, you know, Ben makes a lot of sense with you know, the identity of the club, the culture under Wenger. But I have a hard time imagining Arsene Wenger just saying, I want to step aside even if they win the title this year. I mean, he doesn't seem to be a guy who strikes me as he wanting to retire or move somewhere else necessarily in the short term. And he has a contract, as Ben mentioned. So, um, you know, we could have a somewhat similar situation to Jupp Heynckes getting pushed out at, at Bayern, I guess, um, you know, right after he'd won the Champions League title. And that's something that Guardiola, by the way, has not yet done with Bayern Munich. Um but think about this also if you're Jose Mourinho, where you would like to stay in England, he would like to be at Manchester United, and yet basically all of these top clubs in England would prefer to have his rival Guardiola. And we saw how Mourinho behaved. Uh, it got really ugly between him and Guardiola when they were both in Spain at Real Madrid and Barcelona. And this has just got to stick in the craw of Mourinho, who's probably also wondering... 
you know, why Louis Van Hall is still the coach at Manchester United and why he might not have an opportunity there, though it sounds like Ed Woodward, who hired Van Hall, really uh, wants to stick to his guy uh, potentially and, and, you know, keep him for the rest of the season. Who knows? It would be unreal for the Premier League if they could land Mourinho and United and Guardiola at City and just take that rivalry to to the Barcelona Real Madrid level where uh, where they used to be. Um, <laughs> it's it's crazy how many big name coaches are are on the move. Ben and, and you mentioned it. I mean, you look Ancelotti is going to Bayern Munich. Uh, Van Hall could be out at United. Pellegrini could win more with Man City and and still be shown the door. Um, it's it's a crazy time. Uh, in yeah, but it also it also means that there's this super coach little league of the same guys just rotating clubs and and just like the Champions League is said to be a close shot with the big three Barcelona, Real Madrid and Bayern Munich all of whom have reached the last four semi-finals essentially if you're a top club you know there are only three or four guys that you're ever going to go for and that's a shame because why shouldn't Manchester City go for Alan Pardew or why shouldn't Man U go for Ronald Koeman or someone who has spent has spent time in the Premier League prove that he can do a job at a certain level. Pochettino is probably a good a good option for all those guys, though I doubt Spurs would be willing to to let him go. And probably he might not see it as a step up going to a club like United where you know you're not sure where you're going to end up and what shape the squad is in. But you know, it's, it's almost a shame. It is exciting, but what about the other guys who who want to break into this elite? How are you ever going to get the opportunity if it's a carve up between Guardiola, Mourinho? and Ancelotti every every season. I, I do wonder also, too, Chelsea's going to have an opening uh, at the end of this season, most likely. And so you're also wondering, who are they going to get? I mean, Diego Simeone seems like he would be a good fit, even though he's saying that he likes it at Atletico Madrid. Uh, and maybe he's a guy who could break into that that group. But it's certainly clear to me that with all this TV money, even more of it coming into the Premier League, that this is the place where the top coaches all want to be with maybe the exception of a place like Bayern Munich, Real Madrid, or, or Barcelona. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and look, the the manager of the year, as we transition into some talk about the Ballon d'Or, is likely to be Luis Enrique. I think uh, that's that's likely to be the outcome. Uh, Guardiola is up for that award as well, in addition to Jorge Sampaoli from Chile. Um, Luis Enrique, Ben, last year at this time, <laughs> looked like he could have been out, out on the street as, as well. Yeah, that's right. I think he'll he'll owe a debt of gratitude to the man who's likely to win the whole thing, Lionel Messi, because they had a big round the first week of January um, after the winter break. But then they turned it round. And you have to give credit to Luis Enrique because it looked like he was going to be out of a job. Barcelona were in crisis this time last year. They you know, had this transfer ban. The sporting director had left his job. Carlos Puel had, had walked out as well. The President called snap elections for the summer because everyone was worried about um, his ability to lead. They, they were really not in good shape. And for Luis Enrique to bring it all together. Um, and yes, it does help if you've got Neymar, Messi and Suarez as your forward line. But he's still got to manage these guys. He's still got to make sure that Suarez is happy playing where he is. And that Messi, who changed his position last year and changed his his whole approach to football, really. He became more willing to to not play every minute of every game. And I think we'll see the benefits of that. As uh, as, as you said, Alvi, I, th- I think he'll win the, the coach of the year and deservedly so. What a difference uh, a, a year's time makes. Grant, is this the most predictable FIFA Awards gala uh, maybe ever when, when you look at 
at what's you know who's who's the finalists are it certainly should be i mean when you look at uh on uh, the men's side as far as players messi is is the clear choice even though uh neymar has been terrific uh over the last calendar year this is messi's award uh and carly lloyd should win going away on the women's side with the women's side it's always a little sketchier because the voters you always kind of wonder about um so potentially we could see a surprise, but I mean, that would be crazy. If you have a hat trick in the World Cup final, you score six goals in the World Cup and you win 5-2 against your rival to win the World Cup, Carly Lloyd should be uh, the Women's World Player of the Year. Um, you know, on the coaching side, I, I think people get a little less worked up about that. Um, so, you know, Luis Enrique uh, and, and Jill Ellis, uh, I think, should be the choices there. Uh, I always look forward to seeing Cristiano Ronaldo's reaction to Lionel Messi winning World Player of the yes, Year. Yes, another Ronaldo face is coming. <laughs> well, and, and also if you saw the kind of maybe unintentionally funny documentary film on Cristiano Ronaldo, you got a sense of how important this award is to him uh, and how he really does view Messi as this rival. And he hates going to these ceremonies where he doesn't win and has to watch Messi accept the award and it's all uh very entertaining i can't wait <laughs> uh i was doing a little bit of research uh crazy stat this is going to be the ninth straight year uh barring a shock that Messi's going to finish first or second in the voting nine straight years he's 28 that's crazy uh for curly lloyd if she wins she'd be the third u.s player to do so following abby wambach and Mia Hamm. Uh, and on the women's side, though, think about how small the margins are. If Celia Sasich doesn't miss the penalty, uh, Sasich, obviously the one of, one of the other three finalists, or other two finalists, uh, if she doesn't miss the penalty against the U.S. in the semifinals, Germany goes up one nothing. very good chance they end up winning that game. Instead, she misses by inches uh, wide of the goal. Carly Lloyd gets a penalty in that game. She makes it and then has the final that she has. That's pretty much what's deciding this award, right? I mean, it comes down to, to the biggest stage. Typically, especially in the women's game, when when the sample size isn't necessarily as large as as it is for for a Messi or Ronaldo. Especially in the women's game, the World Cup is so much bigger than the club game at this point, and you hope that changes over time. Uh, and that the club game, the Women's Champions League, the NWSL, that all this stuff becomes more important, uh, including a potential FIFA Women's Club World Cup, which would actually be more intriguing to me than the men's one that they currently hold. Um, yeah, you would hope that all those things happen to create uh, more than just a World Cup to define who is the World Player of the Year. And yet, even on the men's side, the world in World Cup years, it's almost always the player of the tournament in the World Cup that wins the award. Yeah. Ben, uh, any chance Neymar gets second and pips Ronaldo here? I think so. I'm trying to work out when the deadline for, for votes was, because if it was at any time during that messy injury run... Uh, in October, November, when Neymar basically stepped up to the plate, became at that moment in time the best player in the world, and him and Suarez together scored 22 consecutive league goals for Barcelona before anyone else scored, and they were just sweeping everyone aside. If the voting was around that period, I would imagine Neymar might get enough to to finish second. And looking ahead to next year, it's, it's really interesting because... Messi wants to win it again. Ronaldo has the Euros, um, although Portugal are n not in very good shape at the moment. But, you know, if you were going to pick one player to, to be favourite to win it for 2016, it would probably be Neymar. 
Yeah, I agree. And we, we've talked about this before on, on the pod. The opportunities are going to be there between Barcelona and then Brazil at Copa America and then potentially again at the Olympics. If he were to, to win the Olympics in his home country, that, you know, I, the Olympics not as viewed as the as a such a big thing in, in the men's world on, on the FIFA side of things, but still, uh, it's a trophy and it's something that, that he could win. Uh, real quick before we get out of here and, and then bring in Carly Lloyd uh, to talk about um, just being a finalist and potentially winning this whole thing. Uh, two of my favorite stories in recent years of of FIFA blonde or voting. One, Jurgen Klinsmann leaving Messi and Ronaldo out of his top three. <laughs> uh, I believe it was two years ago, which which was phenomenal. I always I do love FIFA transparency. This is the one thing they get right. They publish the votes. Everything is out within seconds of of the winner going up, so you can see what club captain what, or what national team captain, what coach, uh, and what media member from around the world who they're voting and how they're voting. To that end, on the media side, uh, a few years ago, there were four media members in the world who did not cast their vote. One of them was my former editor from a newspaper in Annapolis, Maryland. At the time, he was working uh, at a paper in the Virgin Islands. He had switched jobs when when the ballot was sent, I guess, and and you know took another job at, at I think in the UAE. Um, and so he didn't even know until all the, he's getting all these like hate messages and notes and like how can you not vote for Blunt or such an honor? What are you doing? And he had no idea. Uh, basically it just, he never got the ballot. It got lost in, in the mail. So Aaron Gray, if you're listening and I hope you are, I got your back. I got your <laughs> back. You are totally exonerated. Uh, just don't make the same mistake again. <laughs> I mean, we also see loads of bias, don't we, from the international captains. So Messi never selects Ronaldo. Ronaldo never selects Messi. I remember when Ronaldo won it, Messi picked Angel Di Maria, Di Maria to win the whole thing. <laughs> and looking at the, the kind of, uh, idiosyncrasies of the international coaches as well. Among them, Roy Hodgson, who didn't put Ronaldo or Messi in one of his uh, top threes recently. He picked Mascherano as his number one. (laughs) It it caused all sorts of debate. It was in the World Cup year, so Argentina had got to the final of the World Cup 2014. Um, And it caused all sorts of debate over here. Oh, our English national coach, um, he values defensive, (laughs) defensive destroyers more than creative geniuses no wonder we're never going to win a trophy again Mascarano's his favorite player and there was a you know a lot to be said for Mascarano. he had had a brilliant year <laughs> he's not as good a player as the others but it is interesting because there's always uh someone who tries to be a bit of a smart aleck uh it's great it's great and yeah especially the the player infighting and and just to see how petty some players can be like i mean it's it's great. So we look forward to that on Monday. Uh, and now we look forward to bringing in uh, Carly Lloyd, FIFA Women's World Player of the Year finalist and U.S. Women's National Team star. Uh, we will have that for you right after this break. So how'd your fantasy football team do this year? Season-long leagues are history for another year, but on FanDuel, you can play for cash all the way up to the Super Bowl. You can also start a listener league to compete with your friends. Now, when you play on FanDuel.com with our code PLANET, your first tournament is risk-free. That's any contest offered on FanDuel at up to $10. If you win, you keep the money. If you lose, they will refund it to your account. FanDuel is the best place to play one-week fantasy football. Building a team is easy and fun. Just pick your players and stay under the salary cap. Entry fees start at just $1, so there's a league for everyone. You can also play basketball and hockey on FanDuel. That means you can play fantasy sports for cash, on almost any night of the week. So you think you know fantasy sports? Come and prove it at FanDuel.com. To get started, go to FanDuel.com and click on the microphone in the upper right-hand corner 
and use our code PLANET to sign up now. And here's that offer. If you enter a league and you don't win, FanDuel will refund your money. That's any contest you want, up to 10 bucks. You can sign up on FanDuel.com using our code PLANET and then make a deposit and choose your league. If you don't win, you'll get that money right back in your FanDuel account. The only way to get this no-lose offer is to go to FanDuel.com, click the microphone, and use our code PLANET. FanDuel.com, where you can finally pay to be a fan. That's F-A-N-D-U-E-L.com. Try it out today. We have a special guest on this week's Planet Football podcast. She had a hat trick in the last year's World Cup final. And on Monday in Zurich, she will be the heavy favorite to win the FIFA World Player of the Year award. Carly Lloyd, thank you for joining the podcast. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Uh, Happy New Year to you. Uh, And I wanted to get this out of the way first. By my reckoning, you should have a 100% chance of winning World Player of the Year ahead of finalists Celia Sasich and Aya Miyama, who are very good players. Um, How are you approaching this on Monday in Zurich? Well, hopefully hopefully your your odds are are right. Um, (laughs) You know, it's it's truly an honor to to be amongst... um, you know, Aya and, and Sasek. Um, they're fantastic players. They had a great World Cup. And to be honest, you know, I'm just really thrilled to be able to to go to it. Um, it's it's the ultimate soccer player's dream to be able to go to the Ballon d'Or, um, especially, you know, with the men being there as well and, and hopefully getting to meet some of those other players. But it's, you know, it's something that that I've had in mind. It's been a goal of mine individually. Of course, there's there's team goals of winning World Cup and winning Olympics, but personally, this has been a goal of mine, and um, it's it's taken a lot of years to get to this point. It's uh, it's been tough at times. It's been frustrating, but it's really all been worth it. And uh, hopefully, uh, you know, hopefully, I win the award. As you mentioned, uh, this is a big event. Uh, you know, the women's finalists are there, the men's finalists. I've never been there in person myself. I watched it on television before. Uh, it's a pretty big gala event. Um, now, last summer after the World Cup, you did get to meet Lionel Messi in Houston, which I thought was kind of cool. He was there uh, for a friendly game. That's where you play with the Houston Dash. He's the favorite to win the men's award on Monday. What was that like meeting him last summer? Oh, it's great. It, it's crazy because I've had so many appearances post-World Cup, and that was actually not an appearance, not planned. It just kind of came up. Uh, a few, mm-hmm. of, few of us heard that Argentina was going to be practicing at our practice fields. I happened to be in town, and we just went out, watched them practice, and uh, I got in touch with their translator who was working with them. and. Um, he allowed me to speak to Messi, and Messi was very gracious with his time. We chatted through the translator for about 10, 15 minutes, gave me his jersey, signed a couple jerseys for me, and then got to see him play live at our stadium um, and then was handed his, his game-worn jersey as well, autographed, which was pretty cool. Um, just a fantastic person, fantastic player. And um, you know, I'm a, a huge fan of his, and it was uh, probably one of the, the best moments post-World Cup to be able to meet him. 
It seems like you're a hardcore soccer person, uh, which makes sense, I guess. Those kind of moments, you can just hear it listening to you talk about it. We're really cool to you. You know, with, with all of the attention that you've gotten since the World Cup, has it been a little harder to to have hardcore soccer moments like that? You know, it's I, I've gotten to experience so many different things. I've gotten to meet so many different people. And I think one of the, the cool things is that, you know, all these other athletes and professionals and actors and actresses, they're all human. You know, I, I don't mm-hmm. get too uh, starstruck. And obviously getting to meet Messi was, was a pretty cool moment. Um, but it's just, it's just humbling to know that, you know, we're all the same. Um, mm-hmm. You know, everybody works hard at their craft and they want to be the best. And I think that's what's truly awesome is, is being able to just hear other people's stories, listen to them, how they train, what they do on a daily basis. Uh, for me, that's been, been cool. And, and, you know, there's been lots of people that have gone out of their way to take interest in me. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it was a, Women's World Cup final, and pretty much everybody that I met, male, female, some don't even watch soccer, some don't even like the sport, everybody watched, and everybody saw that moment, and it was pretty cool that, you know, we made history, and all these people took notice of it. Well, you had success in the past, obviously, before 2015, but things obviously did go to a new level last year. How is it different for you personally now as you approach 2016 and the Olympics this year? Well, I think that, um, you know, I I haven't just shown up. You know, I think that it took three goals in a World Cup final for people to really kind of recognize and and just see what, what I've been all about. Um, but I've been asked it a lot. Um, as far as the recognition and people wondering why I haven't gotten as much recognition, um, you know, I, I want to be recognized as um, a first-class role model that can inspire people from, from all walks of life, not just in the soccer world. I think that, you know, my success was built on sacrifice, hard work, dedication, and hopefully the promoters of our game see how special my story is and use it as a tool to help uh, inspire people from all over the world and motivate the next generation to believe in their dreams. You know, I've, I've basically been, been training and, and working when no one's watching. And uh, people ask me, you know, would you eat that morning before the final? And I laugh because that 16 minutes of scoring three goals was really 13 years of just hard, hard work. Um, frustrating work, rewarding work, tough at times, but I wouldn't do it any other way. It was all worth it. On the field, there have been some changes with the U.S. since the World Cup. Abby Wambach is retired now, but probably the biggest changes in the starting lineup, at least, are in the midfield. Lauren Holliday is retired. Megan Rapino is out long-term with an ACL injury. What kind of changes are we going to see in this U.S. midfield as a result? Yeah, it's going to be – when you do look at our starting lineup that we had against Japan, it really is only Lauren Holiday that's out of the, the starting lineup uh, who was retired. And 
it's, you know, obviously a big void. Uh, the center of the park is, is a big deal and Jill would like to keep me a bit higher. So I think that, uh, you know, it's no, te- no time to, to really stress about it. I think that we've got some younger players coming up that are, that are doing fantastic. I think Lindsay Horan has been in the middle a few games and has shown uh, a very promising future there. I think that she's willing to continue to get fitter, stronger, better, and she has the brain and the mind to be able to play in there. Um, but it, it's going to be interesting because, you know, now Megan Rapino is out with her knee, which is a huge loss. Don't think anyone will ever replace what she brings to this team. But it's a time for others to step up. It's a time for others to make their mark, you know, slide themselves into the mix. And I think uh, Jill's doing a great job of bringing in these younger players, bringing in these new faces, and just telling them, you know, you're going to be the ones that are going to make your mark. Uh, no one else can do it. And I think it's it's going to be exciting. But we all know that we have to be better in 2016 than we were in 2015 because mm-hmm. no team has ever won a World Cup and then gone on to win an Olympics uh, right after. So it's it's another challenge that we're ready for. Well, you mentioned Jill Ellis, uh, the U.S. coach, who will also be in Zurich, uh, and she's the favorite to win the World Coach of the Year award. Uh, you guys are in camp right now. You just started in California, uh, the glamorous fitness work that happens in January. Uh, but you do have Olympic qualifying, the tournament next month in Texas. What specific things do you want to see out of this team in the next month and a half? I think we saw glimpses of of what we could do. Yes, we, we did struggle a little bit scoring, but uh, it, it ended pretty well, I, I'd say, in the final, um, scoring five goals that game. But I think this group is very talented. I think that we've got the opportunity to be even better and be even more dynamic. I think that we can incorporate on the tactical side of things more team flow, interchanging, um, runs coming in from behind, people checking. I think we we just are going to get a little bit more sophisticated in our attack overall as a whole group uh, from the backs on up. But we also can't lose the American mentality. And I think that in the beginning games in the World Cup, we maybe didn't come out that way. We didn't come out putting teams on their heels. So I think that that's a really important factor for us to never lose because teams can't deal with that. And we started doing it against China. We continued with Germany and then continued with Japan. And I think that that was a a huge, huge thing for us. So it's it's going to be an exciting time. There's lots of new faces, some younger players, and I'm just looking forward to getting you know getting through this camp um, and then getting on to Olympic qualifying in February and taking care of business. Well, your coach Jill Ellis does have some tough calls to make for the Olympic roster. She has only 18 spots instead of the 23 she had for the World Cup. Most people expect Crystal Dunn to be one player who has a very good chance of making the Olympic squad, who is not on the World Cup team. But which other players who missed the World Cup do you think have the best chance to get on the Olympic roster? 
it's going to be tough when you look at it from the World Cup standpoint, how many field players we took. Um, and now it's going to be 16 field players, which is, is a big, big difference. Uh, we'll have 20 on the qualifying roster. And then obviously that goes down when we um, hopefully qualify and get to Rio. Crystal's done really well. Really proud of her. I think that she's in a good place. She's getting better each and every day. And uh, she definitely has a bright future. Lindsay Horan, I've mentioned before, who's, is another one who has been thrown into the mix and done really well. So I think that you know, it's definitely a possibility for her. Uh, you know, with uh, some of the younger players, you've got Jaylene Hinkle, who I think has, has done really well at an outside back. And then you have a player like Mallory Pugh, who is 17, who's young and who knows what will happen? Um, she is young and, and she is still a part of the U20s and, uh, you know, has the U20 World Cup coming up. But it's it's really going to be whoever is playing well up until the point of when Jill's going to announce the roster. And everybody will be with their respective club teams throughout the year, um, you know, playing in in games before that. So it's, it's really going to be up to the players and whoever's performing at the highest level is going to be the ones that are picked. I wanted to ask you about the labor issues between the U S women and U S soccer. The game in Hawaii was canceled last month over poor field conditions. We've heard more U S players talk lately about getting less from the Federation than the U S men's team does. The men get more business class flights, for example, and the men also get money per point earned in the World Cup group stage while the women don't. You guys have a memorandum of understanding with U.S. soccer, but not an actual CBA right now. How serious are the players about pushing for more equality? Well, we, you know, have entered our proposals uh, for a CBA, and I think that, you know, now is the time to do it coming off a a World Cup championship. Uh, The game in Hawaii was, was disappointing um, to have seen the field the day before to practice on it. Uh, it was, it was terrible. Um, but you know what? It's, it's great that U S soccer has responded in a, in a positive fashion. They have supported us. You know, they, they didn't tell us that uh, we had to play. They were very supportive of our decision. They apologized. They want to make it better. And I think that's a huge step for our program right now. Um, they, you know, flew someone in um, to to apologize to us, um, just telling us that the standard wasn't good enough. It's good. And I think that knowing that the men haven't played a game, one single game on turf all last year, um, is a testament to, to what we pushed for, not playing in Hawaii. And I think that they heard us loud and clear, which is great. And uh, when we go into our our CBA proposal um, and and get that thing rolling, I think that um, it's going to be a, a tough fight. But I think that we're at the point in in the history of this team right now that we're able to fight for more um, for more equality and and get a better deal. And um, it's a, just a testament to what we've done over the years. What is the timetable on that collective bargaining? And is there any chance of a work stoppage this year before the Olympics? 
You know, I'm not sure. Um, it's it's obviously going to take time. You know, our our deal ends uh, after 2016, but as we all know, things take time. So we've we've gotten the ball rolling a bit now. Um, but it it is. It's it's going to take time. It's it's going to be tough. Um, but I don't see, you know, our team um, stopping work. I don't mm-hmm. I don't see that at all. I think that. There's been good communication between our union attorney and U.S. Soccer, and uh, we just, you know, have to continue to take steps forward, and that's what we're uh, looking to do with this next deal. Back to Zurich, real quick. What are you most looking forward to at the World Player of the Year ceremony? Well, I think just being in a room full. Just being in the in the room with with all of these unbelievable players, um, mm-hmm. there's not too many people that can say that they were sitting next to Messi or Ronaldo or Neymar. Um, it's it's going to be amazing, and mm-hmm. I think knowing that all of the the sacrifice and the dedication and the hard work that that I have put in. Uh, individually is it's just rewarding you know it's it's rewarding to have gotten there and to have been named the top three um, from all of that and so I'm hoping to be able to meet as many as the male soccer players as I can you know they'll have the world 11 there as well so I'm going to take full advantage and and hopefully get to to meet as many many players as I can get photos with them Um, I might be a bit starstruck when I when I arrive there. It might be the first time since post World Cup. <laughs> well, Carly Lloyd, thank you for joining the Planet Football Podcast. Good luck in Zurich. Thanks, appreciate it. It's Wild Card Weekend in the NFL, and these four games are going to be a huge kickoff to the playoffs. But don't just watch on TV. Go to the stadium. SeatGeek is the best way to find your ticket in Houston, Cincinnati, Minnesota, or Washington. And now, when you download the app and use our code PLANET, you get $20 back. Here's how it works. You download the SeatGeek app on your iPhone or Android. Then, you enter our code PLANET, and when you make your first purchase, SeatGeek sends you $20 via check or PayPal. Now, if you don't know, SeatGeek pulls all the ticket buying and selling options from other ticket sites into one place to save you time. It's like Kayak, but for tickets. SeatGeek also knows the fair market value of every ticket. They use that information to show you the best deals and help you find underpriced seats. If you have tickets you can't use, SeatGeek will also help you quickly sell them to another fan. Hate those sneaky fees at the end? SeatGeek has the lowest fees of any ticket site out there and always shows you the full price up front. So, to redeem your promo code and get your $20 back, Download the free SeatGeek app today, enter promo code PLANET in the app, and SeatGeek will then send you $20 once you've made your first SeatGeek purchase. For the NFL's wildcard weekend, college football's title game, or the best concerts, use the SeatGeek app and our code PLANET to get $20 back. Chances are your NFL team didn't make the playoffs, but it's never too late to look ahead to next season, and we do that on the On The Clock podcast with Chris Burke. He welcomes in guests with insight on the top prospects in the 2016 NFL Draft, and you can learn all about that by listening to the On The Clock podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or SI.com slash podcasts. Oh. 
All right. Welcome back. Thank you again, Carly Lloyd, the first two-time interview guest on the Planet Football Podcast. Again, we had her back uh, after the World Cup, uh, and now ahead of the, the Belanda or Gala, where, Grant, we expect her uh, to, to win World Player of the Year. I fully expect her to win it. If she doesn't, it'll be a travesty. Uh, part of me still thinks FIFA could throw some you know, unexpected wrench into things, but I do think she'll win it. She deserves it. We asked her actually uh, the last time we had her on, um, you know, if she had thought about being a finalist and, and being on the stage. And and her her quote in a, in a very cynical voice was just, "You never know with FIFA." Uh, so it's <laughs> you're not wrong, Carly. You are not wrong. Uh, let's transition from the U.S. women's team to the men's team. Grant, I want to try something new and and fun, uh, maybe even a little gimmicky. But uh, men's national team camp roster is out. You can read all about it uh, on Planet Football slash soccer. Um. Let's go a little rapid fire. Gonna gonna throw some questions your way about this team, about about this roster, uh, and but you've only got thirty seconds to answer. So think about it real quick. Think, and uh, and and just I don't know. G- give me what you got. It's a lot of pressure. It is. It is a lot of pressure. We're gonna push you out of your comfort zone. Uh, <laughs> let's let's start with with Jordan Morris. Where to Bremen? Seattle Sounders. Where's he going? Eighty five percent chance he's going to Seattle. Uh, I think that's where Morris wants to go. Uh, they have a very lucrative offer for him on the table, but Jurgen Klinsmann really wants him to go to Germany. And I think, as I understand it, has had quite a bit to do with this training session that he's going to have, or sessions with Werder Bremen, uh, convince Morris to go over there. And then Morris will have a decision to make. Uh, I still think he goes with Seattle unless Bremen just totally, totally turns his head, makes him an offer he can't refuse. Yes! <laughs> that is... That is our 30-second gong. In the SI office, it's actually called the shame gong, where we literally hit it every time someone makes a terrible joke. Uh, but, <laughs> but for our purposes, uh, we're, we're going to cut you off after 30 seconds. And that was good. You nailed it. You must do a lot of TV because you got your 30-second counter down. Uh, <laughs> next, Clint Dempsey, out of this camp. Does he play for the U.S. again? I think he does. You look at uh, his performance uh, with the goals he scored in 2015 at the Gold Cup as well. He's... Really, the, the U.S.'s only reliable goal scorer at this point. So I think he really wants to play in Copa America. I think he'll aim for that. I don't know if he'll play much, if at all, for the U.S. after that. Uh, so I think we're in the final days of Clint Dempsey, but I do think we will see him in a U.S. national team uniform again. You got him before 30 seconds. I just wanted to hit the gong. Uh, <laughs> there's always a player who emerges from a January camp. We've seen it in the past. Yes, he's artist last year. Who's your guy when you look at this 23-man roster? Got to be Darlington Nagby, uh, a guy I think should be getting a lot of time in the central midfield on the field. Now, Jermaine Jones is in this camp. Michael Bradley is in this camp. So unless Jurgen Klinsman goes with a 4-2-3-1, we may not see Nagby as a starter. I really hope that's the case, though. Uh, players were raving about Nagby after the November camp. Guys like Tim Howard, that was like the first thing he said about looking at the camp and what came out of it. Uh, not so much what Nagby did on the field, in the games, but what he did on the field in training. He just has a touch in the central midfield that really no other U.S. player has at this point. I think he's going to make a big impact for this U.S. team in 2016. I hope Jurgen Klinsmann gives him the chance. You, you went right through the gong. It's not the 42nd gong, it's the 32nd gong. What happened here? I'm not hearing the gong at all. Oh, no. Okay. Uh, Jesse Gonzalez. U.S. fans will A, be overworked about him sticking with Mexico, or B, let it go? 
Hardcore U.S. fans will be really bothered that Jesse Gonzalez appears to have done a flip-flop here and chosen to stay with Mexico after plenty of reports, including mine, had him coming into this U.S. camp. He has reconsidered. He's played at youth level for Mexico. He's going to be involved in Mexico's U23 camp. Uh, so he, for now, at least, he appears to have made his choice, and Jurgen Klinsmann appears to have a rare loss in the recruiting battle for dual nationals. You can't win them all. Man. 27 second gong. The youth movement on this team, is is this what we'll see in World Cup qualifying uh, going forward? Are, are a lot of these veterans done? I do think we'll still see some of the veterans like Dempsey, uh, potentially other players too, get involved with the U.S. qualifying campaign. Jurgen Klinsmann needs to win games, especially World Cup qualifiers. And I don't know if he's going to do much experimentation that said, if you look at Klinsman's history in big tournaments like the World Cups, he does give opportunities to younger players. I do think he'll do some of that at the Copa America Centenario this summer, but he also really needs to win games or he might get fired. Iceland and Canada. The USA will blank against both of these teams. Have really boring games. Uh, <laughs> if you look at the history of USA-Canada friendlies, especially those in January, but basically at any time of the year, they're horrible. They're 0-0. Zero, zero. It's just, I can't believe that they scheduled Canada again. I know there's not a lot of uh, you know, different possibilities when you're trying to schedule January friendlies, but I remember the last time the U.S. played Canada, just a terrible game, uh, at least as far as a friendly is concerned, and Klinsman suggested he would never schedule them again, and here we are. Uh, Iceland, you know, are they going to bring guys who are any good? Most of their good players are going to be in European leagues. All right, we got you into stoppage time on 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 Iceland. <laughs> uh, yeah, January friendly is typically the worst. Um, but hey, it's an opportunity, like like we've heard over and over again for a lot of players to state their case. Uh, so that's where we're at, start of the new year, uh, twenty sixteen World Cup qualifiers around around the corner. Uh, Grant, that was fun. Let's let's do some more of that. I like it. All right, fantastic. Uh, and I guess we'll leave you on that note. I want to thank Ben Littleton uh, again for joining us. Carly Lloyd again. Uh, we'll see if she ends up winning World Player of the Year. Uh, and we will be back next week uh, from the MLS Super Draft in Baltimore, is where uh, a bunch of you guys will be down there. We'll have plenty to come uh, from there as MLS gears up for its new season. So thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week on the Planet Football Podcast. Do you know about the Locked On Podcast Network, the number one daily sports podcast network? Locked On has a daily podcast on every NBA and NFL team, plus a growing lineup of college and MLB teams. You get a daily bite-sized podcast giving you the latest on your team from the local experts. Lakers fans, search Locked On Lakers. Cowboys fans, search Locked On Cowboys. Just search Locked On, your favorite team, on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, or tell your smart speaker to play podcast Locked On, your favorite team. Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.